People say the Premier League is impossible to predict, but this podcast is here to help. We're working with InfoGold to take a look at the numbers for each and every one of the Premier League fixtures this season. If you're looking to find value in the markets, data can be the key. Welcome to Premier League Insights. We're back again on Premier League Insights and now it's time to take a look at the second batch of games for game week 32. Some big fixtures coming up and as always some potential value to find in the market. Here to help, as he always is, is Jake Osgathorpe from InfoGoal. How are you Jake? Very well, thank you. Yeah, well rested after a very uh, light weekend of Premier League action, but we're straight back into it with a host of midweek games. Yeah, well deserves rest, I think. It it just doesn't stop, does it? We've, got, <laughs> we've been going solid for a good few weeks. We will be for another few weeks. And then before we know it, the, the season will be starting again. But are you ready to look at these upcoming fixtures? Yes, yeah, absolutely. Let's get in. Right, we've got Arsenal versus Norwich. And... Arsenal have, have really struggled since the season got back underway. They they had been struggling before then, but losses to, to Manchester City and Brighton with the other things going on, a, a load of injuries, continued contract issues. I think that just reminded everyone how, how bad things had really got for them. However, they did get a, a big win against Southampton in the league, followed that up with a, a dramatic win against Sheffield United in the Cup. Not exactly convincing in either of those, but wins that would definitely do them good heading into this one. Norwich, uh, they're the team propping up the league at the moment in 20th. They are, I think we've said it week to week, hovering 95 plus percent to go down, pretty much nailed on. Um, They're not really doing much to fight it either. They were dominated against Southampton in their first game back. They went down 1-0 in a, a scrappy game against Everton. They are a team that have also played in the Cup at the weekend. They they almost took United to penalties. They're, I mean, they've shown some signs of promise in, in fits and starts, really, but they're, they're averaging just 1.1 expected goals for per game and conceding chances that equate to almost two expected goals in each game. So, obviously, the, the recent form is important here that the market seems to be buying into Arsenal um contrasting results for for the two of them it's the market's pushed Arsenal out to 67% and they're shortening with a current price of 1.458 Norwich on the drift now 7.40 or 13% and the draw is 4.89 which has a 20% chance is the market being deceived by a bit of recency bias here and maybe forgetting how bad Arsenal can be do you think um i think so yes um i think that the the fact that Arsenal are so short is obviously the, due to the recency bias of the, the two wins against Southampton and Sheffield United and also the fact that Norwich have been pretty poor for the majority of the season and, and you know, have been exceptionally poor since the restart, um, losing three home games. So I think that that's probably got something to do with it. I personally think that Arsenal are too short here to get um, to get on side with. You know, the, the defeat to Man City was, was embarrassing. The... the Defeat at Brighton was slightly unfortunate, but they created next to nothing. Uh, and I actually thought that, although they, they won the game comfortably against Southampton, I thought that they were very. It was a very even game until the goalkeeping howler that um, that let Eddie Nketiah in to score. And then after that, again, it was still a very even game. It was only into um, it was only after the, the the red card that Arsenal really started creating more and better chances. So, uh, although the XG total suggests that they were fair winners, and obviously they they were because of um, so, you know, the, the the chances that were gifted to them by um, the goalkeeper McCarthy, both of them actually, um, then uh, you know 
they deserve the win, but I, I, I wouldn't read too much into that. And, and again, I was disappointed with them against Sheffield United at the weekend. I, I thought that I thought that they created pretty much next to nothing in that first half uh, before being gifted a penalty. Um, and then Sheffield United were much the better team throughout the second half, got back on level terms, and then with their only really attack, Arsenal managed to uh, to carve out a a goal. Um, yeah, I'm like I. I you know, I've not been impressed with Arsenal all season long, whether that be under um, Emery or Arteta. The numbers back that up. Um, I'm not getting carried away with the fact that they've won, um, you know, they beat Southampton and beat Sheffield United. Um, yeah, under Arteta, 1.3 expected goals for, 1.7 against. Um, and at home under Arteta, uh, they rank as the 15th best team according to expected points um, since his arrival. So they've obviously played six matches picked up around eight expected points, which is a pretty poor tally. And they've actually got a negative process at home uh, under Arteta as well. 1.54 expected goals for and 1.58 against. So nothing, um, you know, screams to me saying that that price for Arsenal um, around 1.44 is is value at all. Um, The model gives them a 56% chance of winning compared to the 67 that you're getting on the market. So, you know, there's a big discrepancy there that that we think that Arsenal should be... um, you know, at least um, uh, you know around the 1.8 mark um, for this game. Norwich, as I've said, though, have been pretty atrocious all season long. Um, rightly sit in the bottom uh, bottom three of the table. You know that although our expected table says 16th, the performances and the processes is much lower than that. Um, I think there's only West Ham and Aston Villa that have, have put up worst xG numbers than than Norwich. Um, and that goes for, uh, away from home where they've had real issues scoring goals, creating chances. Um, they've scored goals, well, they've scored just 0.4 goals per away game this season, which is a you know staggeringly low number. They expected goal total away is at 1.1. So they've been a little bit unfortunate in front of goal uh, on their travels. Obviously, the defence has been uh, pretty shocking. 1.83 expected goals uh, against per away game. So there's not really too much to get excited about from a Norwich perspective. The only thing that you could probably cling on to um, if you were looking at trying to get Norwich on side is the fact that they did actually hold Arsenal at Carrow Road um, to a 2-2 draw earlier in the season. I think that Freddie Lundberg was in charge for that one. Um, and it was a game that they that Norwich should have lost according to expected goals. So there's not really much hope for Norwich. Um, like I said, there isn't... Personally, I, I can't get on side with Arsenal at the prices. I think they probably will edge a win. Um, but there's no value in backing them. There's no value in backing the overs. Um, 55% on, on the model, 56 on the market. I actually think that's quite high, um, given what we've seen from Arsenal's attacking um, players and, uh, and their process recently. But I do quite like the look of both teams to score. Um, obviously, people will look at the Norwich goals column uh, away from home. The fact that they've scored just 0.4 goals per away game and probably look be deterred by that um, in getting on side with both teams to score. But, you know, this Arsenal defence, they concede good chances. They conceded good chances against Southampton um, and against Sheffield United from set pieces especially. So there is a vulnerability still there. So I, I quite like the both teams to score. Uh, the market's around 50%. Um, I think it's about 1.95 to even money on both teams to score. Um, and, and the model goes 55%. So there's a decent bit of value in there. Uh, both teams to score but I, I am expecting Arsenal to win um, I don't think they'll be convincing um, and I think Norwich will score and is there much obviously the market's going to consider things like the the rotation and stuff like that that we saw at the weekend is there anything from from the Arsenal lineup and Norwich lineup that you think could be important I know Aubameyang was rested 
but both teams fielded relatively strong sides, didn't they? Yes, yeah, they did. Um, I, I think that obviously Norwich have got an extra day's rest, which um, will have helped them. Arsenal have obviously played an extra game as well since the restart, um, having to play Manchester City in their game in hand. So they've actually played four games to Norwich's three since the restart um, in you know in a really short space of time. I think Arsenal have played, they played on the 17th, the 20th, the 25th and the 28th um, of June. Now they're playing on the 1st of July. All four of the previous games have been away as well. So you have to factor in the, the travel effects potentially. Uh, whereas Norwich's have all been at home, so they've all been they've been pretty lucky in that in that sense. The fact that they've not had to move around in between matches, um, I, I think the fact that like, Arsenal did rest um, Aubameyang at the weekend is is a big plus for this game. Um, I'm a big fan of Aubameyang's, but I, I think he's playing in the wrong position. Um, you know, he's probably the best finisher in the Premier League, or one of, um, and he's been stuck out wide left. I know he's trying to make play the. Um, into out runs, um, try and get in behind and, and get in at the back post. But for me, I think he should be playing down the middle, getting in on the end of scoring chances regularly because he has been he has been star of service. Has uh, Aubameyang and, and to be fair, most of Arsenal's attacking players have been as well. So um, there's a lot of, to improve at Arsenal, but they should have enough to get past Norwich. Right. So now we've got Bournemouth versus Newcastle, and Bournemouth are, are one of a few teams down the bottom who. They should be fighting for safety, but in truth, there isn't really a, a great deal of fighting going on. If if one of those three or four teams had had turned up in their last few games, they could have done their survival bit a world of good. Bournemouth instead have lost 2-0 to Crystal Palace, 1-0 to Wolves. I know we've bigged up Wolves plenty of times on the pod and about how how strong they are at the back, but 0.13 XG when you when you're battling to stay in the league is just I mean, it's a really poor showing and it's it kind of gets worse when you think it's 0.6 xG over the two games that they've been back. It it really sums up their issues. They aren't they aren't very good going forward. They aren't very good at the back. And, and given how tough that running is, if they don't get a win in this, it looks like it's it's almost going to be over for them. Even how close it is, um, they're not going to get much better chance to do it. There's, they could get a real valuable three points here because. Although Newcastle are four places and 12 points above them in the table, they're actually one of a, a few teams that are, are probably worse than Bournemouth, according to expected goals. Um, in terms of the odds, it's it's the interesting one that jumps out straight away for me looking at it now is the, the low goals total. It's just two. Um, no surprise that the over is edging it for betters, but it's there's not much in it at all. As for the 1x2, that is pretty tight. Bournemouth are 2.47 favourites, being given a 40% chance to win. Newcastle and the draw, pretty much evenly priced, 3.26 and 3.22 respectively, and that's around 30% chance for each. I'm personally not expecting this to be a great game. Is there anything in the data that suggests otherwise and, and maybe where the value might be? Um, we, we are quite strong on a Bournemouth win, um, to be fair, Ben. I'm a little bit tentative about that myself, mm-hmm. having um, you know given what we've seen from Bournemouth recently. Uh, but as you pointed out, they are playing against Newcastle, who are... Um, one of the worst teams in the league according to the underlying numbers. So there is a little bit of hope for Bournemouth. Um, <clears throat> you know, you hit the nail on the head with the fact that they were woeful against Wolves. Um, I think they, they played what was a pretty defensive system, I, I thought, um, especially given what they put out against Crystal Palace. They played 4-4-2 against Palace. Um, it was a, a 4-5-1 against Wolves with um, Wilson up front, Stanislas and, and Brooks flanking him three uh, holding midfielders. So it's not surprising really that they, they struggled to create chances in that in that game against uh, what is 
one of the best defences in the Premier League. Uh, but it's still, 0.13 is a pretty pathetic effort. Um, I, I, to be honest, I'm more concerned about the 0.55 that they created against Crystal Palace uh, in the last home game where, um, you know, we, we spoke about it a, f- a few weeks ago on the pod. The fact that Bournemouth have the toughest schedule remaining of any team in the Premier League. Um, and obviously the game against Crystal Palace at home was one of the games that would flagged up as, a, as, as one of their easier matches um, to down the home stretch, but they were non-existent in that game. They really were poor. Um, that you know that same that this that goes for this game as well. It's one of their their biggest opportunities to pick up points. Really, um, after the Newcastle game, they've got to go to Man United. Then they play at home to Spurs and Leicester. And then they've got to go to Manchester City um, before another much more winnable home game against Southampton uh, and a trip to Everton. So it really is bleak uh, at the moment for Bournemouth and it does just emphasise how big this game is in terms of their survival hopes. I think that the main thing for Bournemouth is that although they've been poor since the restart, um, the teams around them have been equally as bad. I think West Ham have lost both their games. Watford have lost two and and drawn one. Uh, Villa have drawn one, sorry, drawn two and lost two. Norwich have lost their two. So, you know, no one's really pulled away from the pack apart from Brighton but obviously we spoke about it a lot this season that we don't think the Brighton will be in any trouble and at the minute they've got a cushion but they're the only team that have pulled away from that little mini relegation pack um, so they haven't really lost any ground which is I guess um, a positive for Eddie Howe's side but the main issue they've had all season has, has been um, you know in, in attack for me I mean so ever since they came into the the Premier League, Bournemouth have been a very gung ho attacking unit. They've conceded chances regularly, but they have been creating plenty in those matches, which means that you're in for high scoring games where you might lose a couple, but you're also likely to win a couple. Um, this season, their defensive processes remained really poor, um, but going forward, they've really struggled um, compared to previous campaigns. Um, I think that they've they've picked up just eleven points from the last twenty Premier League games, which is by far the lowest um, or the fewest in the league. Uh, and in that time, they've created just 1.1 expected goals for per game. Now, that isn't a number that you would expect um, from an Eddie Howe Bournemouth side. Um, you know, they're usually up and around the 1.5, 1.6 mark uh, across the season. And defensively in that time, they've allowed 1.9 expected goals against per game, which is the third most in that time uh, behind West Ham and Villa. So in terms of expected goal difference, they've, you know, they, they have been one of the worst teams in the league. Uh, expected points has them at the third worst team in the league. So basically where they are in the table right now. So it is desperate times. Um, they do have the the quality of player to be able to turn it around. I, I do think, um, I think obviously Callum Wilson's a really good striker. You know, a couple of England caps under his belt. David Brooks is back in the picture now, which is a huge plus. Uh, obviously Josh King as well is, is, is back fit, as is junior Stanislas. So there are positives going forward I just think they need to play with a bit more freedom um, it looks to me as though they're playing a little bit scared they're a little bit tentative in their approach um, sort of a yeah playing not to lose um, which is not really going to get them out of this um, hole that they've dug themselves in um, so I, I think their only opportunity or the only way they're going to pick up results from now to the end of the season is just to just have a go have a go uh, go down fighting go down swinging if if that is to be the case Um and that means that we could end up seeing a, a pretty high-scoring game here. As you know, we get onto Newcastle now. They, according to the underlying numbers, they've been the second-worst team in the league um, based on expected points. Um, and in terms of expected goal difference, the second-worst as well. So 
you know, it's a decent opportunity for for Bournemouth. Um, Newcastle are one of the only teams in the league as well to have actually conceded more expected goals against than Bournemouth this season. Um, so very vulnerable um, defensive unit, despite the fact that they picked up so many points and kept quite a few clean sheets on the road as well. Um, the process away from home Newcastle is, is pretty abysmal, really. Uh, 0.96 expected goals for per game, uh, 1.88 against. So there's an opportunity here for Bournemouth to really... Um, you know, put themselves out of the relegation zone and, and obviously a win would move them above Watford. West Ham have got a tough game against Chelsea, so it, it, you know, it's highly likely that they would move above West Ham um, as well. So, big game for Bournemouth. Um, uh, Newcastle aren't really playing for anything now. They're, they're not going to... There was obviously talks about them getting into Europe, given the point difference, but it's not going to happen. Um, they're not going to go down. They're not going to do much. So they are playing for the place next season. Um, obviously, with the takeover looming, players will want to impress. Um, but I still haven't been impressed with them at all. Against Aston Villa, who are obviously a fellow relegation candidate at Bournemouth, they really struggled to create chances. 0.79 expected goals for uh, and allowed 1.35. So not a very good performance at home against a team that's ranked as the worst in the league. Bournemouth, I have to fancy the chances here, but they Really need to improve if they are to get a win. Um, Infogol thinks that they will. Uh, we, we're giving them a 46% chance of, of the victory. The model that uh, markets around 40% chance. So there's a good value in back in Bournemouth. And you mentioned the low goal line. Um, I find that quite interesting. Obviously, we, we, we're still rating Bournemouth uh, from an expected goals terms and not just goals terms. And, um, you know, in terms of their rating, they're, they're still. Um, quite a, an entertaining high-scoring team to follow. I mean, just look at their recent results. 2-1, 3-0, 2-2, 2-1. Uh, obviously, the game since the restart have been a little bit more low-scoring. But I think there's a the, you know there's value to be had for sure in backing uh, against that low goal line. Um, both teams to score is an interesting play, I think, as well. 58% on the on the model, 47 on the market. So, a decent value there. Uh, and like I said, the overs is, is you know, 40% on the, uh, on the market, which is... Incredibly low, really, for for two teams that give up so many good chances on a regular basis. So um, value in backing over two and a half as well. Yeah, and just on the the odds in the markets that we've seen, I think we had a, a brief chat off air about some of them have been quite surprising. And obviously, we we've, we've said that the trader's job is to to put those lines up, and then it's more the the betters and perhaps the perception of what they're seeing that really forms the lines that we begin to talk about. And I know, I know these are two relatively poor teams that, that haven't been at their best for, for long periods of time. But I'm also beginning to think that I haven't got the the numbers to hand, but I'm I'm sure that the if you were to look at the sample of twenty odd games or however many we've had since the the return to action, that the the average number of goals per game I assume is going to be a lot lower than what it normally is, just judging by the results that we've seen. So I don't know if do you think potentially betters now are, are falling falling foul to that small sample and thinking we're not seeing as many goals as we used to, and then the unders are just pushing these marks down. Is there anything going on there? Do you think? Um, I think that could well be the case. Yeah, I think we saw it with the Bundesliga as well. There was a lot of um, skepticism around the quality of the attacking play after the first couple of weeks. Um, obviously given Bayern Munich ramped up a few big score lines in that time, but there were quite a few low-scoring games as well. Uh, it did take the teams a, a little while to get going and find the rhythms again. And, and once they did, obviously that re- reverted back to normal in terms of the amount of goals that we saw. Um, I think we'll see something similar in the Premier League, really. I think that there's a lot of um, a lot of teams that are... Basically, they've had three months off, and that is a, a longer period than what they would have had for a, a summer break. 
<clears throat> so it's going to take them a little bit of time uh, to a little bit longer, sorry, to acclimatize and get used to being back out there. Um, but I do think that obviously that you factor in the short turnarounds as well, and, and you could end up seeing tired teams, which would usually lead to um, to more goals as well. So I think it will eventually revert back. Um, but I do think that the, the low goal lines are potentially a little bit um, too early or the, the thoughts are behind them are a little bit too early. And like I said, a really small sample size given the limited amount of games that we've got to work with so far where we have seen um, you know, a fair few games that go over two and a half that perhaps weren't expected to. Um, so yeah, small sample size and, and obviously the um, you know, every game week that goes by, we, we learn a little bit more. Right, so now we've got Everton versus Leicester and we'll, we'll move on from one game where I'm not really expecting that much to one where I think this could... It could be a really interesting watch. Obviously, there's one highlight game that we'll we'll get onto a little bit later, but this one is also up there for me. I think Everton have, have flown under the radar as a, a decent team who just they've been on the wrong side of luck for for a lot of the season. They've managed to get more positive results and and kind of fall more in line with their their performances since Ancelotti came in, and they have been great to watch in that time as well. And, I think Leicester are pretty much the the opposite. They they did have given their credit. They had a strong start to the season, um, but I, don't, I think people just don't seem to be picking up on on how poor they've been since the the turn of the year. the The wins in in twenty twenty have come against Newcastle, West Ham, and Aston Villa. They've gone from an apparent title contender to getting seriously worried on about holding on to the the top four spot. I think we kind of joked before I kept nudging you about when would Leicester be considered title contenders when they were playing how well they were and lo and behold we've we've seen exactly what you you expected. Um I think the price here is it, it seems to be based on the Leicester that we've we saw a few months ago. I mean Everton are the favourites but not by much. They're they're two point five nine which is a thirty eight percent chance. Leicester are two point nine six or thirty three percent chance. Um and it's also surprising another one that the goals total has dropped two and two point five. It's another low mark. I'm not the one with the the info goal numbers to hand here. I'm not providing the insight. But but Everton and the overs looks a lot more likely than the market suggests to me. But but what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I tend to agree with you uh, on that point. Uh, Everton are a team, to be fair, that that have come out of the uh, the traps a little bit slow in terms of their um, underlying numbers and performances against Liverpool and Norwich. Obviously, they were. They were impressive against Liverpool. They were the better team. They created the better chances. Uh, but they still only racked up 1.1 expected goals. Uh, and away at Norwich, the edge to a, to a, to a victory, 0.8 expected goals. So, um, you know, two clean sheets is a promising, um, you know, a promising for Carlo Ancelotti. Uh, but the fact that they've only created 2.9, uh, sorry, 1.9 expected goals is a little bit of a, of a worry. And I think that, like, like we're talking about, it's taking them a little bit of time to find their rhythm again. Um, prior to the break, they were averaging over two expected goals per game under Ancelotti. So I won't be surprised to see them get back to that, uh, especially against a team like Leicester, who um, you know they, they have struggled recently. And, and one thing that you can say about them is the fact that they are, um, you know, they, they the, the way that they play, they play such uh, possession-based open football that they can leave themselves exposed in behind. So I think that Calvert-Lewin and, and, and Richarlison will be licking their lips at, at the thought of playing against this Leicester team right now. Um, you know Everton, like I said, against ever since Ancelotti's come in, they've they've really um, upped the level. They sit fifth in our expected goals table since the since Boxing Day, which was uh, Ancelotti's first game in charge. Um, and then you know that fifth in expected points, fifth in expected goal difference. So 
they really are performing like a, a team we would expect to finish um, in and around the Europa League spots. Uh, the process in that time has been excellent. 1.98 expected goals for, uh, 1.22 against. Um, and if you compare that to Leicester in the same time, um, you know, I think 14 games, so this is the 13th, 13 games. I think they played Manchester City on Boxing Day, but prior to that, they'd actually played Liverpool. Um, and obviously, that, I think that was, it was about like 10 points between them at the time, Liverpool and Leicester. Um, obviously, if Leicester would have won that game, they would have moved within seven. Or it might have been less. Uh, I can't really remember too, too well. But um, you know that over Christmas is where their season completely derailed. Um, you know the first seventeen games in the Premier League this season, they were the third best team according to expected goals, um, and they picked up thirty nine points from those seventeen games with a process of one point nine expected goals for and one point zero five against, which was actually the best defense in the league. Uh, and in the fourteen games since. Um, they've only been the eighth best team according to expected goals uh, with a process of 1.49 and 1.65. So, um, you know, there's been a real drop-off in terms of uh, process with their, their attacks got not, uh, got worse by an average of 0.44 expected goals for per game. And the defense has increased, uh, defensive processes, it got worse by 0.6 expected goals against per game. So there's been a real shift um, ever since the, the Liverpool 4-0 and, and Man City 3-1 thrashings around Christmas. Um, to their process, which I, I don't know whether it's something that the other managers have cottoned on to, the fact that maybe Liverpool and City did something that, that the managers previously hadn't seen before and, and they've just been implementing that and, and it's been stopping Leicester in the tracks. Could be something to do with that. They might have just been found out a little bit, but I'm a little bit worried for them. I think that the points gap to Manchester United at the moment is 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 at six. Uh, obviously Chelsea hot on the heels now, two points behind. Um, I fully expect Chelsea to press on and finish above Leicester. Um, but, you know, Manchester United have got a, a winnable game against Brighton in, in midweek. Uh, Leicester obviously have got this tough game. Before you know it, it could be three points. And um, let's not forget these two have a final day showdown as well. So it could come down to that. Um, obviously, you know, Leicester are probably looking at Wolves as well with a little bit of fear given the form that they're on. I think they've won three since the restart without conceding and they're just three points behind Leicester. So it is really, um, you know, it's really worrying for Leicester fans and obviously Brendan Rodgers himself, given the fact that they're in such a strong position. Um, But, you know, like I've said, the process is is that of a mid-table team now rather than a a top four contender. And for that reason, you know, it's really hard to, uh, to oppose Everton in this game. I think the you know the fact that Everton's process under Ancelotti has been so impressive. I think even at home it's been excellent. Um, Two point zero five expected goals for per game and one point one against at home under Ancelotti. Six home games, which is um, you know is pretty impressive. I think they've played a couple of tough teams in there as well. I think they played Manchester United uh, for one. So you know that all of that really boils down to to the fact that the Infocom model thinks that Everton should be around even money favourites for this as opposed to the. Um, 2.6 that you get in. So there's huge value in backing Everton to beat Leicester. Um, as interesting what you were saying about the goal lines. The model goes 58% chance of overs. We think we're going to see quite an entertaining game. Obviously, Leicester's three games since the restart. Uh, 1-1 draw with Watford, a goalless draw with Brighton and a 1-0 defeat in the FA Cup to Chelsea would probably is probably the reason why that there's um, you know a, such a low goal line coupled with obviously Everton's 1-0 and 0-0. Um, the other thing to factor in here as well, which I think is is cr- hugely crucial in in the fact that um, you know in the price of Everton and why they should be shorter is that Leicester played on Sunday um, and they're obviously playing again on Wednesday, whereas Everton didn't play at all the weekend. They're, they're 
playing Wednesday to Wednesday, so they'll have a full week off. They'll be much fresher than Leicester, um, which again is, makes me hugely surprised at the prices on offer. I, the only thing I can think about why maybe Everton aren't shorter is, is probably due to the fact that Leicester need to win. Um, we saw it last weekend in the Bundesliga that, that teams that needed to win went off stupidly short. Um, obviously, Leicester aren't that short in this game, but um, I, I'm surprised that they are. Um, you know, that Everton aren't shorter, um, but there is value in both teams to score and over two and a half goals. Um, I think if Everton score early, Leicester will have to open up, and I think that we could see a high-scoring game. So, um, hopefully, this is going to be a cracker. On paper, it should be a really entertaining game um, between two sides that probably are a very similar level in terms of underlying process. Right, now we've got West Ham versus Chelsea and no bias on this pod, Jake. We're cool it out if people are poor, we we, we tell them so. Um, I, I mentioned it with Bournemouth earlier, that, that group of teams down the bottom of the table that, that aren't taking advantage of, of others around them losing and, and obviously West Ham falls straight into that category. Two games, two 2-0 two, two losses and, and no signs of improvement and that's that's not just those two games against Wolves and Tottenham. That's, I mean, over a season now that they've been they've been really struggling. Um, I think their best hope for safety is just that there's simply three teams below them that do worse than them worse than them from now until the end of the season. They've they have got an easier run in the most after this game, so things might look a little bit better for them in a few games time. But it's definitely going to be a a bit of a panic from now until the end of the season for West Ham. I think. Um, complete opposite end of the spectrum for Chelsea their their return to action couldn't have really gone any better the only way it could have I guess is if teams around them had had lost a little bit more um but they've done all they all they can just about got past Villa absolutely demolished Manchester City I don't know what happened in that game some of the the big chances will obviously help but 4.38 xg to City's 0.78 is I mean it's probably the most impressive performance we've seen against City for a while um, they then went and got let past Leicester in the cup, despite not not looking great. But it's really just been a good season for Lampard, or a great season for Lampard, despite all the doubters that he had at the the start of the season. Another win here, and the the chances of holding that top top four spot become a little bit more likely. Um, no surprise that betters aren't interested in West Ham at all. They're drifting out now, five point seven one zero. That's around a seventeen percent chance for the home side. Chelsea are relatively short, 1.606 or 61% chance, and the draw is available at 4.40, which is 22%. Also, another one maybe where the goals market is is a little bit interesting at 2.5 and 3, with the market pretty much 50-50. I mentioned there Chelsea are a little bit short, but it's it's easy to see why. And is it a price that that you'd want to take? Um, yeah, yeah, it is. Um, I think that given what we've seen since the restart, um, you know, I think that. The price available on Chelsea is very fair and actually offers a little bit of value. Uh, West Ham been pretty poor. The only thing they have on their side coming into this game is the the extra few days rest. Um, but you know, I think Chelsea played Thursday, Sunday, which well Thursday, Sunday, Wednesday, which is quite a tight turnaround. But Lampard has a, a hugely talented squad um, at his disposal to be able to um, to be able to field a, a strong team here, no matter who plays. Um, West Ham have been. Uh, nothing short of, of of shocking, really, since David Moyes came in. Um, the process in that time has, has improved marginally from um, from Manuel Pellegrini. So Moyes came in at, at I think his first game was New Year's Day against Bournemouth. Um, since then, they've averaged one point two seven expected goals for and one point nine expected goals against per game, which is um, we, we, I think 
is the fourth worst XG process since uh, in that time. So <clears throat> there's been a small uplift, um, but the you know the issues that they have defensively have remained. Uh, you know, a Tottenham team that was struggling to create chances managed to rack up um, over two two and a half expected goals against them. Um, obviously, Wolves were very clinical on the day in in their victory, um, 0.9 expected goals and managed to score twice. But you know, equally the West Ham have continued to struggle in attack. Uh, 0.4 expected goals against Wolves, 0.8 against uh, Tottenham. So I think you know you're looking at a really poor attacking unit, which is a huge surprise because there are some talented attacking players there. Um, you know, you think Lanzini, uh, Fornals, uh, Sebastian Allaire, um, Antonio is a player I like. Um, so it is, it is surprising the fact that they are struggling to create. Um, but you know that the fact that they've lost four of the last five. Um, you know, if you look on, if you look at that um, just blindly, then you'd say that they're they're in trouble. But you know, you have to factor in that they have played away at Liverpool, away at Arsenal, and away at Spurs, and they played at home to Wolves, who are to fourth in our XG table. So, you know, the the results aren't um, exactly. You know, they're not they're not alien. We were expecting them to lose those games, uh, and the game that we we you know, or that they they were had a better chance of winning against Southampton. They actually um, really impressed in terms of uh, performance and obviously the result, getting a 3-1 win. So, um, you know, I'm I'm, I'm going to give you a little bit of hope, Ben. I think that West Ham will be okay. I think you, you said it there, their fixtures are a little bit kinder after this Chelsea game. Um, away at Newcastle, home to Burnley, away at Norwich, uh, home to Watford, away at Man United, and then home to Villa. So there's a couple of big six-pointers in there which could define the season. Um, but I'm not going to, you know, draw too many conclusions from their recent form. Um, like I said, they, they've played some, um, you know, a really tough schedule in in the last uh, five games. So not getting too carried away. Oh, sorry, extended to six games. They played Man City away as well. So um, you know, five defeats in six, but they played away to City, Liverpool, Arsenal, and Spurs. Um, so yeah, they're not really expecting any more from them, uh, other than five defeats from those five games. Um, it's probably going to be another defeat here, though. That's the only issue because they're coming up against a really strong Chelsea team, a Chelsea team that have been excellent since the restart, as you pointed out. Um, beat Villa away from home, uh, finding the feet in that game, and then obviously against Manchester City, they absolutely demolished them. I think the final XG total is a little bit over the top. Four, 4.23 is, is on Infogol. Uh, there were a few chances that were rebounded um, and then taken again within seconds of each other. I think that's inflated it slightly, but even so, it was an absolute demolition job from uh, from Lampard's side. Uh, the fact they managed to limit City as well to 0.78 expected goals um, was sensational defensive performance. And and you know I had to chuckle to myself as the commentators were um, were talking about the. Obviously, the, the Chelsea went back in front after the Kevin De Bruyne um, equaliser, and uh, you know the commentators were oh, against the run of play. And I just flicked down to the Infocol app, looked at the XG, uh, and Man City were on about I think around 0.5 XG at the time. Um, you know, and it just shows you that you know narrative is is not everything. And you know, Man City were the, the dominant team on the ball, but it was Chelsea that were absolutely killing them with the counter attack. Um, and you know, in the end, it was a fully deserved win for Chelsea who created by far and away the better chances. And like you said, it's probably the best performance we've seen against Pep Guardiola's Man City team ever since he, he came to the Premier League. So huge plaudits there. Um, I think he got he got his team system right. Um, selections he got right. His substitutions is something, to be fair, that you have to really praise Lampard for. Um, in, in all three games, he's 
made subs that have, uh, that have had an instant impact in the game. Um, I think Abraham came on against... Uh, sorry, Abraham and Barkley both came on against Villa um, and made an impact, as did Pulisic. Um, and both of Barkley and Abraham came on again against Man City and, and made impacts. And then they did the same again against Leicester. So um, I guess that's the, the, the you know one of the best things about having a massive squad. You've got so many quality players there to choose from. Um, but he seems to be making the right changes at the right time, which is you know getting them over the line. And now they're in a, a pretty decent position to uh, cement themselves as, as a top four team. Um, one point behind Leicester. Obviously, Leicester will play before them, in, uh, so they they could actually go into this this West Ham game knowing that a win would take them into third, which would be huge, um, and it would relieve some of the pressure. Obviously, Wolves and Man United are the chasing pack, um, but we're fully expecting them to to get the win. Um, like I said, over the course of the season, their process has been excellent. Uh, they're averaging over two expected goals per game, uh, allowing one point three. So there's a lot to like about uh, Lampard's Chelsea. As I said, although they're short price, there is value there. I think we're we're a sixty four percent chance of a Chelsea win, around one point six six on the on the mark market. Did you say which is around sixty percent? So um, you know there's a decent bit of value in that um, for Chelsea to go there and get and get the three points. Uh, interesting with the goal line, it's a it's a little bit higher than than the other games that we've previously spoken about, um, and we think it should be higher still. Sixty three percent chance of the overs um, on the model, fifty six on the market. Um, and then obviously both teams to score, I think, is, is again a small amount of value, 57% yes, um, 55% on the market. So um, I personally would swerve the both teams to score, given what we've seen from West Ham against the better teams um, in the last six games. I think they've only scored in, in uh, one of the five games against the uh, the better teams that they've played. But I think over two and a half is a decent play. But for me, the main, the main place is to get Chelsea on side and... Um, I, I would imagine that given the prices that, that, that we price this game up at, that the minus one and a half handicap, Asian handicap, would be um, a small amount of value as well for Chelsea. So, um, yeah, get on side with Chelsea in, in whatever way you think is right. Just what I wanted to hear. Um, I don't want to, not dwelling on this game too much, but more Chelsea. And I, I kind of asked you the question briefly a few weeks ago, I think. Obviously, the the business they've done already and without buying too much into the the paper talk and stuff like that they seem to be quite aggressive in their their plans in the transfer market coming up do you think how far have they got to go before they get anywhere near Liverpool and Manchester City is that another season or two away is it Lampard is increasingly getting better he's as I said he's proven his doubt was he looks like a decent coach how 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 do you see them progressing over the next season? Is, can they get close to Liverpool and City next year, do you think? Um, no, no, I don't think they'll be close. Uh, I think they'll be third best. Be, I think, personally, if I look at it now next season, I think the top four is going to be Liverpool, City, Chelsea and United in, in whichever order you, you, you want to put them in. But I think there's still going to be that gulf between Liverpool and Manchester City. I mean, you only have to look at the... Sorry, between Liverpool, Man City and then the rest. Uh, you only have to look at the points totals that, that Liverpool are putting up. They're on 86 points now. They've still got seven games to play, so they could easily hit the 100-point mark, and there's no one anywhere getting near that. Um, and, you know, if you, if you look at Manchester City, they went 100 points, then 98. Liverpool, 97. They're going to be close to 100 points. If they keep up that level of consistency and, and this level of domination, which they have, then there is no chance that any team is going to get near them, just purely because the, the points totals that they're putting up are just absurd. Um I think Chelsea will, it'll take them a couple of seasons. I think there's still a couple of players missing there, mainly in the defence um, at, at full-backs, especially at left-back. There's a big hole there. 
Um, but you know, I, I like what's I like what's happening at Chelsea. I, I think that Zayek is a very a very exciting player, as is Timo Werner. So um, there's a lot to be excited about for Chelsea. But I think it's going to be a couple of years yet before um, Chelsea will will contend for a title. Um, and I think it could even be three or four years, depending how long uh, Jurgen Klopp and Pep Guardiola stay in the Premier League. So I think those two are just a cut above everyone else. Right, now we've got Sheffield United versus Tottenham and two teams here that have had contrasting seasons compared to their, their expectations. I think everyone had Sheffield United almost as a, a shoe-in for relegation. They flirted with the Champions League at times, but they'll be they'll be happy to finish in the top half, which which looks likely now. They could still finish above Tottenham, given how close they are in terms of the points. And Tottenham themselves probably would have wanted Champions League qualification and a, a top four as a, a minimum, but they've just about managed to keep pace with the, the top 10. Tottenham are a point better off, but according to the team's underlying process, Sheffield United have actually been the better team. Um, their expected goals numbers four um, are very similar, 1.4 per game for Tottenham and 1.3 for Sheffield United. Tottenham have actually scored 20 more goals than Sheffield United, which is quite outstanding, though. Um, Sheffield United have been a little bit better at the back. They're on 1.4 expected goals against compared to Tottenham's 1.6. And again, a bit of disparity there because Sheffield United have conceded 10 less as well. Um, Sheffield United, they, they are seemingly on the a bit of a decline. Tottenham may be hoping for a bit of a resurgence. Again, we're only two games into the, the return. Um, they've got a, the benefit of a, a bit extra rest, and it seems that the market is is buying into all of that with Tottenham at, at 2.01, so 49%. Sheffield United, despite being at home and the better team according to performances, are given just a 23% chance. At odds of 4.21. Um, the draw is currently 3.48 or 28%. Goals mark, again, repeating myself, quite low at 2 and 2.5, almost 50-50 on that. Uh, I can't really get my head around this one. What, what are your thoughts on it? I'm the same. Uh, this price on Tottenham is just absolutely absurd. Like, what you know, what have, what have people seen in those two games against Man United and West Ham to think that, that Spurs should be going off even money away at Sheffield United? Um, yeah, that, it, it, that it's baffling to me, and obviously you can tell by my tone that, that Infogol is, is exactly the opposite. Um, you know, I mean, people will be looking at Sheffield United's last three games. Obviously, losing to Newcastle, United, and Arsenal um, against Newcastle, they had a man sent off before losing three nil, which is a little bit. You know, you can forgive them for that a little bit. Against Manchester United, they were just simply outplayed uh, by a better team on, on what was a hot day, um, in which a you know a team that's ball dominant. Really did put that to to full effect against um, a Sheffield United team that were already tired, and then against Arsenal at the weekend, I actually thought they were the better team and and should have at least taken that game to extra time. Uh, and I think against Ar- I think Arsenal went off around two point five, two point six at the weekend. So the fact that Spurs are, are, are around two point zero is, is is you know it's hugely uh, yeah it's fascinating. Uh, I think that's the right word for it. Um, yeah, like the performances from Sheffield United haven't been great. Um, you know, I think I wrote the United Arsenal preview for the weekend FA Cup game, and and basically just, just not made excuses, but almost there are some caveats to those results, which I've already mentioned a couple. The draw against Villa could have easily been a win had the um, you know Hawkeye and, and VAR actually been working. Um, and you know, like I said, against Arsenal, they they were almost back to full strength. They're still missing Jack O'Connell, their their left centre half. Um, but it was a much improved performance. They were playing with the tenacity that, that you expect to see from Chris Wilder's side um, and they were causing all sorts of issues from set pieces. And I think that those issues 
will be equally as or will cause you know Tottenham a, a, an equal amount of problems uh, a team that don't really defend set pieces too well so um yeah I, I'm, I'm hugely surprised to see Sheffield United as such such a big price uh obviously they've got the slightly shorter turnaround but they still got Thursday so Sunday to Thursday which is um you know a, a, an extra day's rest compared to an Arsenal for example who played Sunday Wednesday um so yeah, I, I really I can't get my head around this. Uh, the process at home, uh, Sheffield United's process at Bramwell Lane is absolutely fantastic. Really, when you look at it, one point seven expected goals for uh, per game, one point two four expected goals against. So that comfortably puts them within the top seven of, of our home XG table. Um, and you know, obviously that game against Arsenal at the weekend was in the FA Cup. They haven't they've yet to play at home in the Premier League since the restart. <clears throat> and by far and away their best performance since the restart came at home at the weekend. So, um, you know, I'm quite confident that they can they can do something. And, you know, I, I think there's a massive overreaction to Tottenham here, uh, to their 2-0 win over West Ham. I actually didn't think they were that impressive on the night. They they got ahead thanks to an own goal. I think if that own goal doesn't go in, then it probably finishes 0-0 the game. The own goal went in, West Ham started attacking a bit more and Spurs started creating a few more chances on the counter-attack. And obviously, the Harry Kane scored his late goal on the counter-attack. Um, I continue to be very unsatisfied with what Mourinho's doing there. Um, they were shocking against Manchester United in the first game back as well. Um, so, yeah, I've not really got too many positives for, for, for Tottenham coming into the game. And, you know, if you look at their process on the road this season, they've averaged 1.35 expected goals for per game and, and nearly 1.9 expected goals against per game. So they're hugely vulnerable um, uh, at the back, especially on the road, and and I fully expect Sheffield United to get something from the game, and it's hugely surprising that price. It really is. Um, it's the first time I've looked at it, um, and it, it is baffling, really, the fact that they are that short. I think if they were around, um, you know, around the two point three, two point four mark, I could probably accept it. But um, the fact that they're they're, they're even money, and, and I would would not be surprised one bit if if when team news is, is announced that Spurs actually go odds on, uh, which for me is. Is an absolute joke. Um, the, the model thinks that Sheffield United should actually be favourites for the game, so we give them a thirty-eight percent chance of, of getting the win compared to the the twenty-three percent that you quoted earlier. Um, so there's huge value in that. Spurs are, are like I said, even money fifty percent on the market, and and the model goes around thirty-six percent. So basically, just to post Spurs in this, I think they're too short. Um, you know, the, the the value play from the model's perspective is to get is just to back Sheffield United to win at around four on the um yeah on the market, which I think is a huge price for Sheffield United at home. Um, I don't, you know, I think that the the only time that they went off bigger than that was against Liverpool and Manchester City. I, I, I don't think they were. I don't think Manchester United went off um anywhere near even money against Sheffield United. Um, so the fact that Spurs are a team that are seriously inferior to all those teams that I've just mentioned, the fact. A team that sits 14th in our expected goals table is just quite um, quite baffling and a bit amusing, to be honest. Um, yeah, the value play is definitely to get on side with Sheffield United. You might even get around uh, 1.9 plus plus one on the Asian handicap, which I think would be a decent bet. Um, over two and a half, you said there the goal line's quite low. Um, we think it should be higher. I mean, Obviously, looking at Sheffield United's goal tally, and, and obviously it's quite low, but their expected goal figures, as we say, week in, week out, are actually higher. Um, I think, according to, yeah, they should have scored around 16 goals more, uh, according to XG, and they should have conceded around um, 18, uh, 17 goals more. So um, their actual goals tally don't really justify the performances that they've been putting in over the season. So over two and a half is also a play. Uh, we've got 54% chance of that happening. Uh, markets at 44 
Uh, both teams to score as well. I'm surprised that that's, that's around the even money mark. Uh, we go 57%. So um, I think it's going to be a high-scoring game. Sheffield United will will be looking to get the win. Like you said, if, if the Blades win, they'll go above Spurs. Um, obviously, talk about it last night um, after the sorry after the Crystal Palace Burnley game that uh, eighth place could well be a European Europa League spot. Um, and you know Sheffield United are currently only a point behind Burnley who occupy that spot. So really, is all to play for in their their hunt for Europe. And uh, you know they're, they're going to. I think they'll be a little bit more attacking in this game. Uh, the last three matches that they played have, have featured over two and a half, and I don't see any reason why this shouldn't be the same. So um, Sheffield United, get them on side in any way you can is the main value play, but um, also getting on the goals um, could well uh, prove fruitful. Finally, we got Manchester City versus Liverpool. I, I think it's safe to say we have saved the best till last. Um, the title might be over, but I think that means we may well get more of an open game than than we ha- we could have or should have. I think both teams will probably play with a little bit more freedom now. Liverpool will obviously want to show that that they really are the best, while Manchester City will want to bounce back from a, a disappointing result in terms of the the league as a whole, but also in that last league game that we spoke about uh, against Chelsea, where they they're really well beaten. Um, it's a great matchup because it's it's two great attacking teams with the most solid of solid defences going up against each other. City are, are the better team in attack. Liverpool are stronger at the back. Um, the odds give City a, a 47% chance to win with odds of 2.08, while Liverpool have a 29% chance at 3.41. The two could cancel each other out, I guess, and you can get the draw at, at 4.01, which is 24% chance. Goals mark is a little bit or relatively high compared to the others that we've talked about at three. Betters do like the over as well, and I'm I'm personally hoping this one doesn't disappoint. How how do you think it'll play out? Um, I'm personally expecting quite a, a cagey matchup. Um, uh, obviously, City have had a really um, tough week. They played Thursday, Sunday, and then playing Thursday again. Uh, I think that will take its toll. Um, obviously, they're not they're not playing for anything now, but. I think the only thing that they <clears throat> they can really play for in this game is just to try and beat Liverpool, um, try and stop Liverpool from breaking their points tally. I think my calculations are right. There's 21 points left for Liverpool to play for. They're on 86 points now, uh, which means they could finish with 107. If City beat them, obviously that reduces to 104. So um, 100 points is Manchester City's record. Liverpool are on on, on pace to to break that record, and I think if Manchester City could win this, then it would put a dent in that somewhat. Um, that's the only thing Manchester City are really playing for. Um, obviously, the FA Cup is is a piece of silverware that they're, that they're still in. They can win. Um, whether Pep Guardiola will rest and rotate in this match, it wouldn't surprise me. He's, he's done stranger things. Um, Liverpool obviously be very fresh for the game. Uh, you know, it's going to be high quality whatever happens with the teams. Obviously, by far and away the two best teams in the, in the Premier League, according to expected goals. Um, you know, City actually unfortunate to to not be a little bit close to Liverpool. They've been unfortunate all season. They've, um, I think, there've been games where they've they've absolutely hammered teams and, and managed to lose, but. The game against Chelsea was a big worry, really, um, especially given the how how well or how easily Chelsea exposed them uh, on the counter attack. And Liverpool are probably the best counter attacking team in the league, so um, it could be. It, I think team news will dictate the prices here. I think Liverpool will play strong no matter what happens. I'm not too sure that City will. I think they'll rotate quite a bit. I think, I think Kevin De Bruyne has played 
he played Monday, um, Thursday, Sunday. Whether he'll be ready to go again for the Thursday, I'm not too sure. He might get a break. Um, obviously, Aguero's out. Will Will Guardiola play Jesus as a nine, or will he play like Chelsea and, and play like a rotating front three? Um, yeah, I think Team News is going to dictate the, the price of this game um, just before kickoff. The model's got it priced up pretty accurately with with the market. To be fair, I think that there isn't too much value on offer. City themselves at home have, have obviously been excellent. Two point seven expected goals for per game, not point eight against um, Liverpool. Have been really mm-hmm. solid away from home. They've one point eight expected goals for one point one against. So it really is two of the two best teams in the league going head to head. I would have really enjoyed it if um, you know if City had a, a beat Chelsea and, and meant that. Liverpool had to win this game. I think everyone would have preferred that uh, rather than being a bit of a damp squib. But, um, you know, the value play really is... Um, it, it, it's hard to find value. <laughs> the price is a, it's priced up so um, so well by the market, um, according to our model. We, we go 48% chance of a City win. So there's, a, you know, a really, very, very small um, bit of value in back in Manchester City. Again, that, that price on City could well drift depending on team news. Um, I also quite like the unders in this one. I think the uh, the market's obviously expecting a high scoring game. Yeah, well, it's going to go one of two ways. It's either going to be a really cagey, tense affair between two high quality teams that just cancel each other out, or it's going to be uh, a goal scoring free for all um, between two teams that are just going toe to toe. Obviously, hope for the latter. But in terms of uh, looking at the prices and the value, the unders looks a little bit big to me. Um, around 40%. So I think that would be one of the plays. Uh, both teams to score is priced up pretty much bang on as well. 62% um, on the mar- model, 63 on the market. But all in all, it, you know, although it is on paper an absolute glamour tie between the two best teams, the two best coaches, uh, it really is just a bit of a damp squib because there's not really anything to play for. Um, I doubt that City will take it Really seriously, I think Guardiola will have his players in cotton wool now from the end, uh, from now to the end of the season. Apart from the FA Cup games, just making sure they're fit for the Champions League, which obviously gets underway in August. So, um, yeah, it's, it's it's going to be an intriguing game to watch. Obviously, the, the quality is going to be high, but uh, from a betting perspective, there isn't too much value on offer. I would probably side with the with the unders. Well, that is our, our second lot of fixtures for game week thirty two done and dusted. Plenty of interesting games to look at, a lot to dissect with the market. So cheers for all the help, Jake. I'm, I'm sure our listeners will be grateful as well. Yes, thanks, Ben. Hopefully we can have a few more winners as well. Obviously, we spoke about last week, uh, the, the buzz team uh, to back against was Burnley. And, and ever since the um, the podcast last week, they actually won both matches against Watford and Crystal Palace, um, which Infragol had both of, uh, as Burnley favourites. So good value there, good good winners. Hopefully we can have some more in midweek. That's it. Time will tell. Hopefully it's, it's good news when we talk again next week. Anyone interested in learning more about Infogold or, or taking a look at the a look at the data that we've discussed, you can visit infogold.net, follow at Infogold app on Twitter and download the app on iOS and Android. You can also download the Pinnacle Live Scores app, which is also available on iOS and Android. It lets you set odds alerts and favourites so you can tailor your live betting experience to make in-play betting easier than ever. All of the odds for Game Week 32 are now on Pinnacle.com. Good luck with any bets and remember to always gamble responsibly.